Welcome back to another episode of the Montgomery Companies Podcast. Today, we're going to feature a live session that we did with our good friend, John Gordon, through the Montgomery Companies Leadership Series. In this session, we talk about leadership, faith, family, communication, and connection. I share a conversation with John Gordon, and then we invite guests to ask questions in a live setting. If you wanna know more about the leadership series that we run at Montgomery Companies, follow us on social media. We do a session every other month in a live webinar format, bringing top thought leaders to you so you can have engaging and interesting conversation. We are excited to let you in on our conversation with my good friend, John Gordon. Welcome to the Montgomery Companies Leadership Series. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. We are glad that you're with us. We're excited and honored that you're here. John and I understand this is a Friday afternoon and there's other things that you could be doing, but you've joined 3,000 leaders and a top leadership expert in John Gordon to grow and get better. We also want you to know that this next hour is designed for you to go farther, faster in your leadership journey. John's become a dear friend. We get to learn from an author, a speaker, and truly one of the most gifted and sought after leaders of our time. So we're going to dive in with John. We're going to get better. I'm going to be taking a bunch of notes. I can't wait to do this with you. But before I formally introduce John, I want to make a couple comments about today's session. For those of you that are with us on a regular basis, you know that we reserve the back half of the hour for Q&A. So if you have a question for John, throw the question in the chat box. We're going to try to pepper John with as many questions as we possibly can. So put the question in the chat box. We'll get to it on the back half. We also want to let you know we're going to continue to do these live webinars. Every other month, you're going to hear from a top thought leader, and we're going to keep coming. So join us on social media. Connect with us on social media. It's where we release all of the information first about our live events. We've put John's social media handles and our social media handles in the chat box. Send us a DM. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know how we can help you and serve you on your leadership journey moving forward. And we also want to serve you right here, right now. So with that said, I'm going to formally introduce John Gordon. Many of you know him well. You've heard him speak. You've read his books. Maybe you've participated in his trainings. But you should know this about John Gordon. He's the author of 24 books. Half of those books are bestsellers. He's written five children's books. He's written great books like The Garden. He's written The Carpenter, The Energy Bus, The Power of Positive Leadership. He's got a new book out called Row the Boat with head coach of Minnesota, PJ Fleck. I know we got some Minnesota fans on the call today. Want to give a shout out to Tim Bohannon, a good friend and longtime mentor of mine in Minneapolis. But John's so much more than an author. He's a speaker. He's a thought leader. He's been on some of the biggest stages in the world. He's worked with championship teams like the LA Dodgers, the Los Angeles Rams, the Clemson Tiger football team. Shout out to our good friends in the state of South Carolina. And as accomplished as John is, as much as he's done, I want you to know this. He's a better person than he is a professional. And John, I want to say this to you directly, just with you here and our live audience. Um, I've followed you for a long time. I've admired you and respected you for a long time. But this past year, we've had a chance to grow a friendship. And of the two things that I admire you the most for, it's that you wear your faith on your sleeve and you lead your family well. I'm proud of the person you are. I'm proud to call you a friend. And from the bottom of my heart, man, we want to say welcome and thank you for investing in our community today. Glad to have you here. Jordan, great to be with you. I am honored. That's such a kind introduction. I appreciate it. Tim Bohannon is a friend and a guy that I've known for years. So it's great to hear his name mentioned and just all the different places that you mentioned. I just love visiting those places and seeing people in those cities. I love what you do, how you do it. And I'm just honored to to share today with with your audience. Well, we're going to have some fun today. I'm going to take some notes. I know I'm going to get better. A bunch of people are going to get better because you're here investing time with us. So I want to um, start here because this is what you say. Self-admittedly, you say you weren't like a positive person growing up. It, you had to work on becoming positive. And you even grew up in maybe a little bit of a negative environment, had some negative people around you. So for a guy that's built a brand on positivity, I want you to take us back to the early days 
of John Gordon. Who did John Gordon used to be and how did you arrive at where you're at today? Well, early days, people have heard me speak. They hear me talk about the fact that I grew up in a long in Long Island, New York, Jewish, Italian family, a lot of food, a lot of guilt, a lot of wine, a lot of whining. Mom wanted a son, the doctor, the son, the lawyer. My brother goes to Johns Hopkins pre-med. I go to Cornell University pre-law. So she's telling everyone, oh, my son, the doctor, my son, the lawyer, she's bragging. My brother came out an actor. I came out a bartender. And so she was definitely devastated during that time. I remember visiting her, visiting me at a bar where I'm working and I'm on the bar pouring shots into people's mouths. And she's like, my son graduated from Cornell University and this is what he's doing. Thank God I would eventually find my way. But my parents, you know, weren't super positive. My dad was a New York City police officer, undercover narcotics. And so he was battling the drug cartels on the streets of New York. And so he was not very positive, a loving guy, very loving dad, but one of the most negative guys on the planet. You'd get up in the morning and say, hey, good morning, dad. He'd say, what's so good about it? And so my dad was Al Bundy before Al Bundy was Al Bundy. Jordan, do you even know who Al Bundy is? You're, you're, I think you might be young enough to, to not know who he is. We got a bunch of people that don't know who he is. I, I think I'm one of them. So. <laughs> and so married with children, TV show, all that. Anyway, so uh, see, Alma says, I don't know either. <laughs> and so look up Al Bundy. That was my dad. And so not very positive. And so I really struggled with it. And I was an athlete. I played lacrosse, football, basketball. I had this belief and optimism that I could could be great and I would work hard to be great. You know, I would listen to Eye of the Tiger and I would do my workouts and running and training for football season. I wanted to play in college. I was recruited to play in college at Lehigh and Yale and Georgetown and, and various schools to play football. But, but Cornell, I got recruited to play lacrosse. And so I went to... Cornell to play lacrosse. And that experience would, would change my life going there. I mean, I was straight out of Long Island, New York, gold chain, tank top, Camaro. You know, I talk like this. I used to have an accent like this. I really did. And I learned about culture there and teamwork. And I saw friends with, with privilege. I saw friends who had, you know, successful dads who worked at big companies. And so a whole new world was, was opened up to me during that time. But again, struggled with negativity at times and self-doubt and confidence issues and met my wife and loved my wife more than more than anything. That's a whole story about how we met. We wrote a book called Relationship Grit, where we share our story, our, our ups, our downs, my failings, you know, early on in our marriage, how we stayed together during our challenging times. But I was so miserable, so negative when I lost my job during the dot-com crash. Didn't know how, it, how we're going to pay the bills two small children. I mean, it was the most terrifying time in my life. I was crumbling from the inside out. I was really being beaten down by fear and stress, my identity, everything. And so during that time, my wife threatened to leave me because I was constantly blaming her for why my life was so bad, why I wasn't living up to the expectations I had for my life. And when she threatened to leave, that was my wake up call. That was like, okay, you need to change. And I knew I wanted to change. I wanted to be a better person. I wanted to be a better, a better father. I wanted to, to be the best version of myself. I knew there was a positive guy in me because there were times when I was that guy, like when I met my wife, right? Early on the courting phase, like I'm this great guy and everything's going great. And it was like, it was like a movie, our, our meeting. And I proposed under this beautiful tree that we would pray under. We called it our God tree. And, but then we started fighting. And then my insecurities came out. And then I didn't feel like I was enough. And I was worried about how I'm going to provide for, for my family when we had kids. And so, so life took its toll on me. And I lost in many ways that optimistic piece of me and that negative piece that was in there. A lot of, a lot of it then came out in a big way. You know, we all, we all have this two dogs inside of us, right? We have the positive and the negative dog. We've heard the two wolves story. I like to talk about dogs. I love dogs, but positive and negative, and they fight all the time. And the one who wins the fight is the one you feed the most. So you have to feed that positive dog on a daily basis. And I was feeding that negative dog. But once I starved that negative dog, I started feeding that positive dog. That changed my life. And that is what began doing all of this work. And I was around 31, 32 years old when my wife threatened to, to leave. And I remember I asked, what am I born to do? Why am I here? Like, what is my purpose 
And that's when writing and speaking came to me. I'll never forget. Like it literally, boom, it was like a lightning strike. I really believe God spoke that to me because after that, I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I don't know how, I don't know what I'm going to talk about, but I know that I'm just going to go start to try to encourage people and I'm going to make it about others, not myself. I was so miserable because I was focused on me trying to be someone of value. But in that moment, I said, I want to bring value to others. And once it became about bringing value to others, it's so interesting. That's what I found the value within myself by trying to make a difference in the lives of others. So that changed everything. And that began this journey of, of, of writing and speaking and doing what I do now. Well, you have this infectious spirit. Uh, you seem to always be sort of happy-go-lucky and positive. Um, but I appreciate you shedding light on your journey and on the story. And you didn't write the energy bus until I think you were 35. Is that right? 35, 36, right? So it was a uh, 2006. I wrote that book and things were not going well. I had gotten into the restaurant business. I opened up some Moe's Southwest grills, second mortgage, our home, $20,000 in credit cards. That happened after my wife gave me that ultimatum. I wanted to write and speak, but I couldn't just go write and speak. I had to find a way to make a living for, for our family. So I said, all right, I'm going to get back in the restaurant business. Cause in Atlanta, I had been in the restaurant business after I, you know, I met my wife, I was bartending. Then I opened up a bar and eventually opened several places, sold them back to my partners. They were stealing from me. That's a whole other story. Got out of that. Along the way, I went to law school for a year and a half, dropped out, went to go work for dot com. Thought I was going to make my billions or millions and billions, had a lot of shares. The company went under and that was the time that we were now in Jacksonville when it went under. Okay, what am I going to do now? Write and speak. Okay, let me open up a restaurant. I know this business. Let me find something I could do that would be easy to do. And Moe's Southwest Grill was just getting started. There were five Moe's in the country. Only, um, only we were the first one actually in Florida at the time and began trying to make that work. And so eventually made it successful sold them in 2005 and said, okay, I know it's time to start writing and speaking. Like now it's time. And it wasn't going well. It was not going well at all. And I, money's starting to run out from when we sold the Moe's, you know, we were living off that money. I'm like, what am I going to do if this doesn't make it? And as I'm walking and praying, the idea for the energy bus just came to me. It literally just came to me. And so I went back to my home office and I wrote this book in about three and a half weeks of divine inspiration. I'm about, yeah, 35, 36 years old. Around the same time I was coming to faith. Around the same time I was, I was struggling so much and, and had this burden and pain within me and, and, and fear, realizing I couldn't do it alone. It was during that time I listened to a sermon by Erwin McManus and it was called Why I Follow Jesus. And it just spoke to me for the first time. I was like, okay, maybe I'm open to this, to this Jesus because my mom was Jewish and I was bar mitzvah actually. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to just somehow, some way ask for the signs, started seeing all these signs. And it was around that time that here I am coming to faith, surrendering, trusting energy bus comes. I write it literally every day. I'm walking, praying, and more and more of the books coming to me and gets rejected by over 30 publishers told to give up. It's not going to happen. I couldn't give up because I really, at this moment, had my vision and mission. And it was to encourage millions of people, one person at a time. Like I was willing to make a difference one person at a time. And whoever came my way, I would encourage them. And so I said, I want to reach a lot of people, but I'm, I'm always going to make time for that one person. And that's what began this work of being really committed to just sticking with it. Eventually, John Wiley and Sons agreed to publish the book. And it was coming out, so excited, you know, asked a friend, what should I do? He said, pray. So I prayed for, for it to be a bestseller. It came out. It was a bestseller uh, in Korea. <laughs> I, learned, I learned you have to be specific with your prayers. It was like this huge hit in South Korea, but not North Korea, but a huge hit in South Korea, but not one bookstore in the United States would carry the book. So I went on a 28-city tour, paid for myself from city to city, sharing the message of the book. If you're in sales, right, if you're looking to build up a business, that's what it's like, one person at a time. And I was out there hustling, not knowing what was going to happen. But I went from city to city and we had five people in one city, 10 people in another. I really did encourage one person at a time at these events, right? One event was 20. And the most people we had were in, in your home state, uh, Iowa. We had 100 people in Des Moines, Iowa. 
So that was very exciting. But they thought Jeff Gordon was coming. That's why they showed up <laughs> and didn't know what the future held when I got home. Didn't know what it would be like going forward because it wasn't a very successful tour. But I knew I had this vision and mission and purpose. And I had to live and breathe it every single day. And that's what I did. I went, you know, everywhere and anywhere who would have me speak. I did 80 free events. I went to the Jaguars and Jack Del Rio read the book and, and had me come speak. And that was the first team I actually ever spoke to. And that began my work with a lot of college and pro teams as people started to hear about this book and share it around. And that was 2007. Think about that. Here we are 15 years later. That energy bus was on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list a few weeks ago. Like it still hits the list, you know, every couple of weeks, even now, 15 years later. And again, I don't take credit for it. I really believe it's just the living the vision and mission of what God has for me and, and the mission of going around and sharing this message. Well, there's a young person listening that needed to hear what you just shared. So if you're young and you're still trying to figure out your path, I mean, I just think about your story, John, and so much of what you've really created has happened in the last 15 years, but you were faithful with the little, you planted a lot of seeds and it's grown into something very special. It took five years for it to be a bestseller. Think about that. Five years of just going around and speaking everywhere and anywhere, not knowing if this thing was ever going to be successful. And that's the key. You've got to show up and do the work. You show up and do the work with a vision and mission and purpose. Telescope, microscope. Telescope is the big picture vision of where you want to go, and it's why you want to go there. When you know your why, you will know the way, and you won't let obstacles get in the way. And we don't get burned out because of what we do. We get burned out because we forget why we do it. So we have to remember our why, our mission, our vision, our purpose. Telescope microscope, zoom focus actions that you take each day to realize the picture in the telescope. I was talking to a, a former Navy SEAL named Chad Wright right after COVID hit. And I had him on my podcast, Positive University. And Chad said, you know, John, a lot of guys trying to be a Navy SEAL don't make it because they don't make it through Hell Week. He said they don't make it through Hell Week because they're dreaming for it to end. They're longing for it to be over. He said mm -hmm. the ones who make it just want to make it to breakfast. And I realized that was the key to getting through any challenging time or on any mission, right? It's to not worry about tomorrow, but win today. We mm. win today. We win the next day. We win the day after that. And if you do that, you will win the future. But you have to focus on winning each day. Controlling what you can control each day is essential. And that's what I focused on doing, saying, how can I do that each day? Vision, mission, purpose, and then three other words, love, serve, and care from the carpenter, which is really a, a book that represents sort of my philosophy in terms of the approach of, I'm just going to love what I do. I'm going to love people. I'm going to serve others. It's not about me. It's about we, and I'm going to show that I care. And caring is the difference between average and greatness. And over time, don't mm -hmm. focus on building your business. Focus on loving, serving, and caring, and your business will exponentially grow. I've never had number goals. I've never had forecasts in terms of I want to do this amount. Organic Valley, they, in their milk company and dairy company, they've never had number goals. They are mission and vision, purpose, focus, right? So they want to provide sustainability of the land. They want to pro provide products with uh, that are uh, organic and antibiotic free and no hormones and pesticides. So they do that. They want to provide their farmers with income. So they've stuck to those core purposes. And as a result, each year, their numbers just soar. Here's a fundamental principle I live by. And I believe everyone who does will have amazing success. Invest in the root. If you want the fruit, focus on the fruit of the tree, the numbers, the outcome, the stock price, the sale, focus on the numbers, ignore the root and the tree dies. But if we invest in the root and we make it our number one priority, we will get a great supply of fruit. Now we do have to measure the fruit. It's okay to measure, but we do so knowing that when we measure that, it's just a byproduct mm. of how well we're living the vision, mission, and purpose, focusing on every day. And I love for people, as you know, to pick a word for the year, pick one word that will drive you to be your best each year, right? One word that will give you meaning and mission, passion and purpose. That's a great way to zoom focus with the microscope each day to help you realize the picture in the telescope. And so what will that word be for you? I don't know, but I know that there's a word that's meant for you that will drive you to be your best. 
And, you know, I had a teacher the other day. She said her word was endurance. It was really funny, endurance. She told her students, I will outlast you. And then I had a principal, he picked the word retirement. I said, no, you're not allowed to pick the word retirement. <laughs> that will not energize you. So he changed it to finish. He said, I'm going to finish strong this year, finish my career strong. And that word helped him really finish strong. I had a woman the other day in the front row and she said, my word is vodka. <laughs> that was hilarious. That's how I'm getting through. I said, okay, well, yeah, I said, well, okay, whatever works. It was really funny. So I would hope you pick another word besides vodka, but like one year I picked serve and that was the most powerful year that I really grew in many ways. My wife loved that year that I picked the word serve and it really made a difference in my family and, and how I showed up and it changed me as a person changed me as a leader. I was able to write the carpenter after that year of, of serving last year was heart. And this year, the word is abide. You know, I want to abide in, in God and John 15, that's where that word comes from abide. And it's so wild because I was talking to a pastor for his podcast and he said, you know, my word a couple of years ago was abide. He mentioned it. I thought, Oh, that's cool. Never, never thought about that. I never thought that would be my word coming back from the gym. There's a van that's just sitting there staring right at me, a white van, black letters that said abide on this van. It was crazy. I looked at it. I, it was like, oh, that's your word for the year. I'm like, okay. And every year that's what happens. Somehow, some way, like I get this miraculous showing of the word and it comes out. Now I've, I've had friends who are, you know, atheists, you know, I have a lot of friends of different religious persuasions or people who don't even believe in God. And this guy was an atheist. And I said, okay, you don't believe in God. Cause I believe God has a, a word meant for you. Just be open to a word that will come to you. Just be open. Like just somehow, some way it's going to be in the air. And it's going to come to you. He goes, all right, I'll try. I kid you now, like two weeks later, he's like, oh my God, the word just came to me. Like it just happened. I said, I know it's crazy how that happens. And so if you're open, a word will come. Well, it's so fun you share this because we have Tim Bohannon with us on today's webinar. Tim gave me your book about the one word. And my one word was intentional. It was a year where I met my now wife, Ashley. And Tim was a big help in getting me through some really difficult years. And uh, so much of that was, was your book and that choice to to uh, move with that one word intentional. So was that, was wanna, that word intentional though, in terms of like intentional to find your wife? Was it, was like, well, I, I, I don't know if I was thinking about it that way, but I do know that when I met Tim, you know, and Tim and I started working together, I had a lot of work to do uh, in terms of habits and focus. And Tim helped me with that in all areas of life, but certainly it uh, helped me close my, my biggest sale, you know, which was, <laughs> which was my wife. So um, Ashley, she's the best. That is our, um, that is our number one sale of all time. My, that is my right. wife, when I met her, I was, I had just opened up this bar in Buckhead and she was walking down the street. And for me, you know, it was love at first sight for her. It took a few years, but it was love at first sight for me. And we met and she wasn't interested really. A week later, I saw her at the best of Atlanta event. I couldn't believe it was her. I'm like, there she is. I ran up to her. I said, I am not leaving without your card. Cause I was wondering if I was ever going to see you again. So she gave me her card. I called her like seven times. She blew me off, blew me off. <laughs> finally, she agreed to go out with me. Then she kept canceling. And then finally, the New York, the New York guy came out of me. I said, look, you just canceled again. I said, I said, we were supposed to go out like a, a number of times now. I said, if we don't go out tonight, we're never going out. <laughs> and, uh, and hey, you, you were know, intentional. You're I was intentional going for broke. I was going, going for, for I was it. going for broke. And she said, she said, all right, I'll go out with you. And she said, looking back, like she liked that, that I did that. Yeah. And we went out and she still wasn't really interested, but we went out one other time and then that was it. I love it. Catherine's the best. God bless hey. Catherine. You gotta get, hey, you have I've to, got, I want to share this yourself. Quote. You have to prove yourself. You, you do, you do. Um, I want to share this quote. And I, I love, somebody needs to hear this today. This is one of my favorite quotes uh, that you refer to a lot. Cause somebody is sitting here looking at your life and they're going, well, John's got it kind of easy today. You know, he's got this influence and he's got books and he's got lots of friends. And here's what you say. Somebody needs to hear this. I'm not positive because life is easy. I'm positive because life is hard. And I know that you've watched a lot of positive leaders influence and affect negative environments. And I'm going to ask you this one last question. And then John, we're going to move to Q and A because we got all of these questions piling up. I don't want to make sure we get to the Love questions it. for our listeners, but if you could spend just a couple minutes on how you've watched positive leaders, some of the great champions and leaders that you've worked with affect negative environments. Well, a leader drives a positive culture. They create that culture. They set the tone. It comes to life from everybody in the organization, 
but a leader drives the culture. It's one of the key things that you do as a leader, one of the most important things that you can do. And so your energy is contagious. You are positively contagious. We've been hearing over the past 18 months how we are negatively contagious, but hope is contagious. Kindness is contagious. Love and passion are contagious. Leadership is a transfer of belief. Leadership is a transfer of belief. You're always transferring your belief to your team. And Dabo Sweeney is a great example of that. I've watched as Dabo Sweeney turned around Clemson with his belief, right? Clemson football was transformed because this guy believed in others and that team more than they believed in themselves. When he got the job, he walked in and he brought two signs to his first meeting. One said, believe. And the other one said, I can't with the T crossed out. He knew that Clemson always had talent, but they lacked belief. And he transformed that program with that. Donna Orinder, I wrote about her in The Power of Positive Leadership, how she transformed the WNBA. People didn't think the WNBA was viable, could be successful, but she believed. She saw the belief in the players and the coaches, not the organization. So she had to get the organization to believe. And, and again, her, her optimism, her belief was contagious. Jamie Kern Lima, who's become a good friend, her and Paulo, you know, they, they started It Cosmetics in their living room. And her belief, she just wrote a book called Believe It, and just her constant belief through all the rejection, all the failure, all the adversity, almost going bankrupt a number of times. Well, here we are years later, and she just sold her company to L'Oreal for $1.2 billion. That is belief. So Alan Mullally turned around Ford. They were losing $14 billion. He came in as a CEO, and people didn't think he'd be turned around, but he turned it around. And he said, John, everyone has to know the plan, relentlessly work towards the plan, and embrace that plan. And so his belief transformed Ford. If he's not the CEO of, of Ford, he might lose, they might lose 50,000 jobs. And so that one person's belief transformed everything. Research from Duke University shows that optimists work harder, get paid more, and are more likely to succeed in business and sports and a number of other things. What they found in this research was that these optimists, because they believed in a brighter and better future, they took the actions necessary to create it. It's funny, though, the researchers use the term deluded, that these people deluded themselves into mm -hmm. believing it was possible, delude. We might choose the term belief or faith. It shows the power of the mind. Because you believe it, you will work hard. You will take actions. You will create what you believe. And so what we believe so often determines what we create. And that's what we see. Leadership teams who believe, a team that comes together and believe. I wrote The Power of a Positive Team. The number one key factor in student learning, for instance, is collective teacher efficacy, which is, do we believe as a staff that we can impact our students' lives? And if we believe it as a staff, we will then take the actions necessary and we will do that and help them create extraordinary outcomes. And that's what we see, right? It's belief. And so we often underestimate belief or we think it's Pollyanna. This is not Pollyanna. This is not about seeing the world through rose-colored glasses. This is knowing that you have the power to overcome the storm and the thorns. This is not about ignoring reality. It's about maintaining optimism, belief, and faith in order to create a better reality. And we're not going to sugarcoat situations. We're going to say, okay, this stinks. This isn't great right now. We're not enjoying this. This is a tough time. We're going to be honest about that, but we're not going to allow negativity to sour the situation. We're going to somehow, some way overcome. And just as stars shine the brightest in the darkness, Positive people shine the most through adversity. And in a fun thing to remember, like a fun way, every morning you get up, you have a choice. You can rise and shine or rise and whine. Rise and shine or rise and whine. And we don't want to rise and whine. And we don't want to rise in W-I-N-E. We want to rise and shine and we shine on others. And that's the key. As a leader, mm. like if you don't have it, you can't share it. So every day you have to feed yourself in order to feed others. And that's a big part of my work, right? How do you feed yourself each day to be a positive leader, to develop resilience, grit, perseverance, strength, optimism, belief, so that you can take that on and then lead your team in a positive way. Feed yourself in order to feed them. I love what you just shared there, John. And our friend Craig Rochelle says it this way, what comes into your mind comes out in your life. You conform to what you consume. And so uh, we have a bunch of people that believe. We have a bunch of people that are shining and they've asked all kinds of questions. We're gonna try to go rapid fire because we have so many good questions here. I wanna make sure we get through as many as possible. Uh, Kit Peterson, Mike O'Connell, Love Church in Omaha. Jeremy Doremus, one of our favorite people in Conway, Arkansas. I'm gonna start with him. He says, uh, we talk with Jordan all the time about getting the right people on the bus. With our teams, 
when people have been on the bus but aren't now, how do you determine if they should be back on? And if so, how do you get them back on? Great question from Jeremy Doremus. Well, every example is going to be specific to that example, but generally you have to make sure they're a right fit for your culture. First and foremost, should they be on the bus? What do you stand for? Once you know what you stand for, every decision you make is easy. So knowing what you stand for and do they share that same vision and purpose? We want diversity of thought. We want people who have diverse backgrounds. We don't want everyone always thinking the same way, right? We want some people who also challenge the status quo to make it successful. But are we aligned in our vision and mission? Do we want the same things? And do we share the same values in how we go about doing it? That's key. You know, Cornell Lacrosse became a powerhouse program after I played there. They were a program a great program. When I arrived, we were not great my senior year. We lost our way, our culture. We lost our culture. I saw that firsthand. Then they became a powerhouse later on and they are still, they are still a powerhouse. And what happened was the coach told me that instead of recruiting 30 people, they only started to recruit, they recruited about 14 and they want to make sure that they were recruiting the right people. So they would say, Hey, it's really cold up here in Ithaca. If you don't like the cold, this is not right for you. It snows here. If you don't like the snow, it's not good for you. We're going to train like football players, even though we're lacrosse players, you're going to work harder than you've ever worked. If you don't like to work hard, this is not the right place for you. So they would weed out the people who really didn't fit their culture and they would find the people who did. And as a result of that, they would thrive. So do they fit overall your culture? Are these people contributors? Are they we people, not me people? Do they want to make the team better? And so that's how you know if they're the right fit. And then how do you get them back on the bus? You share the vision of where you're going and you see if they want to join you in that vision. Does their personal vision match and meet your overall bigger vision? And when I talk to leaders all the time, I say, hey, this is a great conversation to have with everyone you lead. Hey, here's our vision. Here's where we're going. What is your vision? Like, What is your personal vision? Mm. And how can your personal vision contribute? to our bigger vision. Let's talk about that. You may want to actually have a, a career that, that goes somewhere else besides here, but what can you do along the way that helps us along that way to grow and help us grow? So you're having those honest conversations with them. And so you know what their vision is, how it contributes to our vision. And then how can I help you? How can I help you achieve that vision and realize that vision? And then how do you want me to hold you accountable? How would you like me to hold you accountable? We always talk about love tough instead of tough love. Tough love doesn't work anymore. It's about love tough. When they know you love them and care about them, you mm. earn the right to challenge and push them and make them better. And great leaders lead with the combination of love and accountability. If I have to talk about the most important aspects of leadership besides optimism and belief, it's love and accountability. The combination of the two and the greatest leaders I've worked with, they have the right amount of combination of, of two. Too much accountability, not enough love. You're always driving. You're always pushing. They will tune you out and you will burn them out. Too much love, not enough accountability. You got a lot of love. You're a great family, but no one wants to rock the boat. You never confront the issues and you never become as great as you can be. And they never realize their potential. So if you really love some, someone, you won't let them settle for anything but their best. So long answer to that question, but um, I, I truly believe right fit, right culture. Do they want to get on, share the vision, make sure your visions are aligned and see if it's, if it's how we can move forward and grow together. Jeremy just took a bunch of notes. Awesome response. Thanks, Great. John. Um, I'm glad that Macaulay Hill asked this question. Macaulay Hill is in Indiana, played football at Syracuse, former division one football player. Great guy. And he wants you to elaborate on your gratitude walk. You always refer to these gratitude walks. What does it look like for you? Why do you do it? Anything that we should know or understand about gratitude walks and the power that a gratitude walk can have. Yeah. When you appreciate, you elevate. When you appreciate, you elevate your mood, your performance, and the people around you. I found research that said you can't be stressed and thankful at the same time. And so if you're feeling grateful, feeling blessed, you won't feel stressed. And so I started to take this walk of gratitude every morning years ago when my wife almost left me and I would start taking these walks each day. And while I was walking, I would just say what I'm thankful for. Mm -hmm. And I would practice gratitude. I'm thankful for this walk that I can do. I'm thankful for the ground I'm walking on. I'm thankful for this fresh air mm -hmm. that I can breathe. I'm thankful that I'm healthy enough to walk. I'm thankful for these kids who are driving me crazy right now. And so I would say what I'm thankful for and while I'm walking and eventually 
you know, that would turn into prayer as well. They became prayer works over time. So I practiced gratitude. Then I would pray. All these ideas came to me on these walks, the book ideas, just ideas for businesses, mission, purpose, what I'm here to do. Everything came on these walks. They were so powerful. But from a scientific standpoint, when you're walking, you're flooding your brain and body with these positive emotions that uplift you rather than the stress hormones that slowly drain and kill you. So the walk plus gratitude floods your brain and body with these incredible emotions that, that feed you and feed your soul. So you're intentionally, your word intentional, you're intentionally creating like a great day by doing that. And each day you do that, you're weeding the negative, feeding the positive. Think of your mind like a garden. Do it for, mm. do it for a day. You don't, doesn't do a whole lot. Do it for a week. Okay, garden looks better. Do it for a month. Wow, looks really good. Do it for a year. Do it seven years. Do it for a lifetime. For me, over 17 years now, weeding the negative, feeding the positive, the garden of your mind looks very fertile. And when you come back from one of those gratitude walks, you've created a fertile mind that is ready for great things to happen today. And so it's a great way to set your intention for the day. And it has changed my life. It really has. And it's helped me become a much more positive person. It really has helped me rewire my brain from negative to positive. You see, we activate this part of the brain right here. This is the, the amygdala. This is the flight fight response. So we often activate the reptilian part of our brain. When you're walking and practicing gratitude and praying, you're activating this part of your brain. I call it the positive dog part of the brain. Mm. And the research shows we have a quarter second to override the reptile with the positive dog. We have a quarter second. But if you've ever said something you wish you didn't say, or you're in traffic and you told someone they, they were number one using your other finger. If you've ever done that or been busy and stressed and didn't act in a way that you really wanted to or didn't provide customers, great customer service, what happened was your reptile ate your positive dog. It's called cortical inhibition. And it happens so often. And so by doing this on a daily basis of the gratitude, you're building up this part of the brain and you're rewiring it from positive to negative. And I've really changed my whole mindset, my heart, my soul through prayer, spiritually, scientifically, the mind walk, the, the, the gratitude walks. And it's changed everything from a, from a physical, emotional, and spiritual perspective where I did deal with depression in the past. I dealt with anxiety mm. in the past in a, in a big way. I've crumbled from the inside out at times in my life. But now I wake up, I have so much more resilience, so much more strength, so much more power as a result of doing these kind of things that when COVID hit, I remember it was a really scary time because everything was being canceled. I know for you and me, what we do, but I remember thinking, you know what, somehow, some way we're going to get through this. And I had a whole different positive perspective that said, we are going to be resilient and strong through this. And I'm going to trust along the way. And I saw so many amazing things by just staying in that frame of mind. So the guy who crumbled during the dot-com crash and lost his job was a completely different person, a completely different mind and spirit that was able to take on the challenges of today, rise above and create an incredible year and a year of growth in, in my life, but also a year of saying, I'm going to encourage everyone I can during this time. I'm going to encourage everyone and anyone during this time. I went back to my rookie mindset of making a difference, encouraging, and whoever needed it, I was there for them. And that changed like everything. I saw so many things happen as a result of that. And I'm a different person now than I was 18 months ago. I'm sure many people listening, we have changed in many ways. Are you different? Yes, I'm sure you are. Are you better? I bet you are in many ways. What we go through helps us grow. Discomfort. We don't like it, but it leads to growth. Remember that. So good. I thank, thank you for just keeping it real. Um, and, I, and I appreciate you, how you've shared some of the hard stuff today, John. Um, I, I love how you talk about your family. I, I want to talk about leading in the family because Martin Connolly has a, a great question about leading in the home. Uh, my good friend, Jeff Woods, who's the CEO of The One Thing, he said this the other day. He said, I'm a family man with a business not a businessman with a family. And that makes me think of you, you know, you're, you're a family man with a business. And Martin is a, a father to three young boys. He lives in Boston, Massachusetts. And Martin Connolly said, John, I love your books. I just read The Coffee Bean and I thought it was amazing. My most important job is being a father and leading my family. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, what is your advice on how to effectively lead your family? I believe that it is our most important job. And if you are not winning at home, then you're not a winner. I believe we have to win at home first and foremost is everything. I was not the perfect parent. 
there were things that I look back, I wish I would have done differently. We sat around as a family just recently. My kids are 21, 23. Hey, what I do wrong? What could I have done better? And they gave it to me. Like they told me, oh, dad, when we were younger, you were too intense and you drove us too hard. And I, I did. Like I was that dad that was so focused on like your sports and growth and intense. And I wished I would have just had more fun during that time. I really do. So one, help them grow to who they're meant to be, not what you want them to be. Mm. Help them have fun along the way. Help them find what they love to do love to do. My daughter was a lacrosse player and I was a lacrosse player. So again, I pushed her too hard. She almost quit. I almost ruined it for her. But then I changed. I read a book by Joe Ehrman called Inside Out Coaching about being a transformational parent, a transformational coach instead of a transactional. So it was about her, not me. It was about helping her grow. So once I became an encourager, a supporter, changed me as a person, as a writer, as a leader, everything. So again, I evolved and became better along the way. I am a, I would say I'm a really strong parent now, but back then I wasn't the best, right? I was growing myself. I was mature. I was a young parent. And so, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm 50. My kids are now 23, 21. And so I'm, I'm a much better parent now. Best thing my wife and I have ever done though, is a family meeting. So having a family meeting with your family and kids, you sit around the table and you talk about your vision and mission as a family, come up with a family mission statement, talk about each person's goals and objectives and what they want to create, right? Talk about the challenges each week along the way. What are you going through? We found out so many things about our kids of what they were going through that came up in those meetings that wouldn't have come up otherwise. You know, some people call this dinner, but this is really about sitting down and having this family discussion around the table. And they would often not want to have the meeting. No, we're busy. No, I want to play my game. I'm not doing this. And I would like have to fight. No, we are meeting. We're sitting down right now. I had to fight for my culture. Like I had to preserve my culture. I had to, I had to really make it a big part of it. And my wife says it to this day. Like there are days she didn't want to do it, but we stuck with it. And we remember those meetings, found out things along the way, really became connected also, a big thing that we did was take family vacations. I know that not everyone can, but that was essential for us in terms of I was so busy during the years speaking, traveling, that we always made time like July, December, when things were slow. We really carved out time in the calendar to spend quality family time. And to this day, we're on, you know, we have a Snapchat with just the, the four of us. We have a text string, just the four of us that we text a lot, that we share, that we laugh, we send memes, we still communicate in that way, I think, because of the bonds we had along the way. Thanks for sharing. I, I um, Good and bad. Like, I've learned good, there are good things sure. and there were bad things. But yeah, the best advice was from my friend's mom, who I played lacrosse with at Cornell, Teddy Berkery. Teddy Berkery's mom said, just love your kids. Let them know they are unconditionally loved. If you do that, if you do that, they will grow in a, in a positive way. They'll have their, their bumps along the way. They'll make their own mistakes because yeah. they have to make some mistakes along the way, but, but, but love them. And I would argue also hold them accountable to, to your standards, to the culture, to the values and the principles you teach. So we have these standards and I'm going to love you along the way to meet these standards. It's no different. It's no different than leadership, leading a team, mm. love and accountability and standards. Well, I think, it, you know, the role of a parent, for those of us parents that are on this webinar, the, the role of a parent is the, the most important leadership job you'll ever have, right? It's the, it's the only leadership job that we'll have that nobody will ever have but us, right? So somebody else will be the coach, somebody else will be the speaker, the CEO, the manager, o only you get to be uh, mom or dad. And, that, and that's, I think, special. And you have to be selfless too. One other thing to be a great leader, you have to be a servant leader. Mm. And to be a great leader, it's about service and sacrifice. It's about helping others be great. It's not about you as That's a leader. Good. And parenting teaches you that. Like you're not getting recognition and rewards from your kids as you raise them. Right. They're not like when they're 15, 16, dad, you're doing an awesome job. Like dad, you're, you're great. Like, well, you're yeah. a great leader. No, they're saying, I hate you. I can't believe you're making me do this or you're not letting me do this. You're not getting the recognition. So it is selfless in so many ways. You're being beaten down. You're not being lifted up. So as, as a leader, you're not getting the recognition. You know that it's about them. And so it's so selfless. And you give everything you have to help them become all they're meant to be. Mm. And that is real leadership. So being a parent, 
made me a better leader in leading others, looking to serve others in that way. Maya Angelou said, you can't be much of a leader if all you see is yourself because mm -hmm. a leader sees greatness in others. So you can't be a narcissist and be a great leader. You can't be selfish and be a great leader. It has to be about them. I remember my son, you know, I weren't really connecting. I asked a friend, what should I do? And he said, well, do you do, do you do what your son likes to do? I said, not really. He goes, what does he like to do? He likes to fish. I said, he said, do you fish with him? I said, no, I don't. He's like, go fish with him. And so we went fishing, right? I didn't like to fish, but guess what? It wasn't about me. So we went fishing because my son liked to fish. So that's, that's what selfless leadership is all about. Just awesome. And thanks, Martin, for the question. Keep being a good dad. I uh, love watching you raise your kiddos. Bob Goff, I, I spent some time with Bob Goff the other day. He added this, John. He said, help your kids to be comfortable in their own skin. In a world that's critical and can be cruel, there's so much comparison going on. Help your kids to be comfortable in their own skin. We've got um, two questions that I'm going to combine for us, John. Um, Michael Brownlow, dear friend, uh, Rachel James of Boston, Massachusetts, both game changers, great leaders, by the way. Rachel wants to know who your biggest mentor is today, maybe even in the past, but today and in the past. And then Michael Brownlow wants to know what books you're reading currently. So who are your mentors? How are you challenging yourself to grow? And what books are you reading? So Ken Blanchard, definitely my mentor, the author of The One Minute Manager. Ken is over 80 years old now. And when I started writing and speaking, he was my mentor. He was my model. This was the guy that I looked up to. I didn't know him well. He taught at Cornell University and became a huge business author. The One Minute Manager has sold over 20 million copies, I think. And so he's an incredible man, a man of faith, loving guy. So I knew of him, but then I reached out to him when I, when I started writing and sort of made him my mentor, even though he didn't choose it, I chose him. And I, I always believe your mentees find you. You don't really find your mentees. They actually find you. I sought him out. Eventually speaking in Vegas, he was at the same place that I saw. I invited him to come with me to see Danny Gans, the entertainer, because I knew Danny and brought Ken and his wife to meet. We hung out. We became close. We were in San Diego. He invited me over for Father's Day and we developed a real strong bond to this day. So he showed me what this work looked like and what a business author could be, but also a man of faith can be. So he was my model for that, but also really cool. Now, years later, Years later, we do a retreat together. We're speaking at this retreat and he's 79 years old on stage doing his thing, energized as can be. I actually didn't speak much because he was so into it. So I was watching like my mentor do his thing. I was supposed to speak a lot, but it was great. I was like, all right, go for it, Ken. You're feeling it, go. And watching him do that, I was like, you know what? All these years later, he's still my mentor. Still show me what I could be like at that age. And so when I was... 30, he showed me what I could be like when he was in his 50s. Now at 50, he showed me what I could be like in my 80s. And so love Ken Blanchard more than anything. Erwin McManus is a, is a powerful influence in my life, a pastor. And he just wrote a book called uh, about Jesus, the genius of Jesus. And so I am now reading that book, the genius of Jesus. Thanks for uh, answering. Go follow Erwin McManus too, by the way. What a, what a brilliant man. He's got a podcast called the genius of uh, just love Irwin's work. Uh, we have a few more questions. We probably have like um, time for maybe one or two more questions. And God bless Kip Peterson. Here's a great question. Uh, Kip works in the healthcare world, um, John, and he asked you this question. What would your message be to our frontline healthcare workers who are exhausted, burning out, and having to fight a pandemic? Um, what would you say to healthcare workers today? One, I would remind them that they are, are heroes. They are heroes. I would thank them for what they're doing. I just spoke at a conference of nursing directors who manage a bunch of nurses and nurses right now are incredible what they are doing, what they've done and how hard it has been for them on this journey. So I would first appreciate them and thank them. And then I would just remind them of, of their resilience, of their strength and of their mission and purpose because there are days we get up, we don't feel very positive, but it's our purpose that gives us something to be positive about. I would tell them about the, the nurses who were there for my mom and dad as my parents were dying. Both of my parents are, are, are passed away. And my mom died over 15 years ago of cancer. My dad died a few years ago, about five years ago now of a, of a rare disease on a, on a ventilator. And so you see your parents go, it's hard, but nurses that were there cared and they loved. 
and they served. And those final days with those nurses, the mm. kind ones, the loving ones, I'll never forget that. Like they made such an impact in my life. And so I would remind them of that and their ability to impact. And I would, but I would not sugarcoat it. I would tell them, I understand how hard it is. And we've never been through anything like this before. And so there are people in the world that want to blame and blame and this and blame that. And, and I don't think that does any good. I would really just focus on the fact that they're the mission and purpose that, that they're living. And as hospital directors and organizations, I would tell them they need to make sure that they're investing in them. They're helping them. They're, 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 they're nourishing their souls and their, their spiritual growth as well for what they're going through because it can be really difficult. So I'm doing a couple of pro bono talks for hospitals recently via Zoom to make an impact in these nurses' lives. I see it as a ministry. I, I didn't want to get paid for it. So I'm, doing that. Yeah, I'm doing that to try to, to try to impact in that way. Love that. Thanks for sharing. And again, Kip, keep doing that great work. We appreciate you serving. Thank, you for, yeah, thank you for that. I saw, I saw a, chat, a chat question that came through. Someone said, what would you say to a 20-year-old? And I, I, want, I want to give my favorite advice that I give to everyone. And it was advice that was given to me by Dr. James Gills, the only person on the planet to complete six double Ironman triathlons, mm. to double Ironman, which means you do an Ironman, a day later you do another one. And the last time he did it, he was 59 years old. And he was asked how he did it. He said this, I've learned to talk to myself instead of listen to myself. He said, if I listen, I hear all the fear, the negativity, the doubt, the reasons why I can't finish this race. But if I talk to myself, I could feed myself with the words and the encouragement that I need to keep on moving forward. Mm -hmm. It really is a battle of our mind. And negative thoughts are always coming in. They're always coming in. I always ask people when I work with, professional athletes or college athletes, I say, hey, do your negative thoughts come from you? And they're like, yeah, of course they, they do. They're in my head. Well, here's the next question. If you believe your negative thoughts come from you, who would ever choose to have a negative thought? Would you ever choose a negative thought? No, I wouldn't. So where's it coming from? This blows people's mind. No, I wouldn't choose it. So where's it coming from? It comes from consciousness. When you're dreaming, having a nightmare, are you choosing those thoughts? No one has ever found a thought inside of a brain. So thoughts exist in consciousness. There's the internet cloud of consciousness and the brain is the hardware. It's where activation happens. So we're always downloading these thoughts to our brain. And this goes along with my spiritual beliefs that believe that it's a spiritual battle, that there's a battle of good versus evil going on because negative thoughts want to sabotage you. They want to keep you from your destiny. They want to tell you that you're not enough, that you're not going to make it, that the future is hopeless. And negative thoughts will always accuse you of not being enough. And they will attack you in the place of your identity, of who you are and the greatness that you want to achieve. And yet, these voices are negative, but we also have the voices that say, you can do it. I believe in you. Deep down, we want to accomplish great things. Deep down, we want to be great. Why? Because we know that there is greatness within us. And we have a God that put that within us. It's in our mm -hmm. DNA. It's in mm -hmm. the soul of who we are to strive and be more because we know that we are here for more and we're here to accomplish great things. And that is the battle. It's against the enemy that says you're not enough with the God that says, I created you for so much because you have a purpose, you were created on your on purpose, and you're here to do something amazing with that purpose. And I believe that we have to recognize that. And once you understand this battle and you start speaking truth to the lies each day, which is what I do, I do it often. What happens is you start to walk in that truth. You walk in that power. You win the battle of your mind, and then you win the battle out in the world. But it starts in here first. The essence of who you are then creates the world on the outside of who you are. That's the coffee bean message. The power inside of us is greater than all the forces against us. So good. That was just dynamite. John, thanks for sharing. You can either speak to yourself or you can listen to yourself. And the greatest battle that you'll ever face happens in your mind. We have one more question. Time for one more question. We want to honor your time today. So we're going to sign off a minute early. So John, and maybe just like two or three minutes or less, Mike O'Connell, he's a pastor at Love Church in Omaha, Nebraska. This guy's like the future Craig Rochelle, gifted communicator, one of my close friends. Um, he wants to know this, interesting question. What are you doing today to work on your humility? How do you stay humble in a world that's telling you how great you are and how awesome you are, the books you've read, the speaking gigs that you do? How do you stay humble? How do you work on that? 
I love questions like this because it's like, how can I be more humble? I, I just keep telling myself how awesome I am. That's how I practice my, my humility. No, I mean, it's, it's, you know what I do? I like, I just hang out in my house with my wife and kids. That's how I practice humility. That's an honest really. answer. That's yeah. Because like, answer. Hey, they're like, they're not thinking I'm, I'm too great. Right. Yeah. Whatever dad, take out the trash. Yeah. Dad, uh, go do this. So when you hang out with your family, you know that you're not anything. And I don't, I don't believe you have to, read the book to make you humble. You don't have to check the box to make you humble. You don't have to listen to the talk. I believe you just have to understand that there is a God and it's not you. There is a creator of the universe, but you can be confident knowing that he made you in his likeness and image. So Mm. you're made in the likeness and image of God to do great things. So you're confident in that and in your faith, but knowing that you're not God. And so there's that humility that comes from that. And it's also understanding, and I think about this often, I am temporary. Like I am only Mm. here for a short time. And the books that I write, I hope will have an impact. The talks I give, I hope will have an impact. But at the end of the day, right? I have maybe 20, 30 years left in my life. My mom passed away at 59, I'm 50. And so I realize how temporary I am. So it's more so how can I make the most of today, make the greatest impact to to change the lives of others, do work that matters, but knowing that I'm really not that important, but the work that I do and the difference I make is what's important. And so that's how I practice humility. And I did read a great book called Humility by Andrew Murray. It was written in like the 1800s. And it's like this incredible book. It's it's just so spiritual, so powerful. That book impacted me in an amazing way. So I would say that helped me with my humility on, on my path. But whenever I forget that it's, it's, it's it, where I forget that God's in control, God reminds me that he's in control. Whenever I think that I'm the reason for my success, God reminds me that he is the reason. So God is, does a really good job of keeping me humble all these years. And he gave me a family that, that helps with that. Well, the, the scripture says, and this is such a great place to end, uh, God opposes the proud and he gives favor to the humble and he's given you great favor and you've been a great steward, John, of all that he's given to you. So I know your work is not done. I'm going to ask you one final question as we sign off. And before I ask you, I want to again say thank you. I want to say thanks to you, John. I want to say thanks to our listeners. It's Friday afternoon. There's other things you can do, but you're here with us to get better, to grow um, in, in kind of one minute or less, John. What's next for you? I know you're working on some big things. What's next for John Gordon? What's next is got a book coming out called The Sale, which is going to be a really cool book with Alex Demchak, a guy I've known for years since he was like 22, 23. I think he's 29 now, almost 30. So known him all these years. We wrote a book called The Sale about integrity, selling with integrity. So that will be coming out sometime in, in March or April. Excited about that. And then working on this book that I've had for about, I don't know, I'd say 10 to 12 years now in my mind. And I've been waiting for the right time. And I think this is the right time to write this book. And it's going to be really, really, really powerful. It's like the garden times two. I do hope people read the garden because it's the five D's that they will have to overcome to be who they're meant to be. And we all have the five D's right now of doubt, distortion, <clears throat> discouragement, distractions, division. And it's all about that. I think this book sort of takes the garden to, to the next level. And I'm excited about that. I want to make training camp. It. Want to make training camp into a movie. I hope that happens. We're doing our leadership training. I'm passionate about developing positive leaders around the world. So we have a power of positive leadership program mm. around the world. And we are developing leaders in events across the country. And I recognized that about five years ago. Like, okay, this is my mission: develop leaders, help them be positive leaders. So we are really, really focused and passionate about developing those leaders. And I'd say that's what's next. It's not anything new. It's just living and breathing the mission every single day. And it's still about one person at a time. I love it, John. Thank you, man, for being with us. Here's a quick opportunity for those of you who stayed to the very end. Make sure you follow John on social media. John, you're one of my favorite follows on social media, at John Gordon 11 So follow John on Twitter, follow him on Instagram. We're buying several hundred books. So of, of John's books, specifically The Carpenter. Um, we're going to give away, I just made this up. We're just going to have some fun. We're going to give away a uh, hundred books. Some of you are thinking, what the heck would I do with a hundred books? Well, I don't know what you do, but you get to decide. So here's what you got to do. That's awesome. You got to send, you got to send John a DM. Uh, you got to send me a DM. Just say, Hey, I'd like a hundred books. And we're going to pick one lucky winner. And we're just going to give away a hundred books. And you get to decide what you do with your one 
100 books. So we'll pick a winner. Uh, thanks for being with us, John. You're the best. Thanks for your friendship. Thanks for being you. Uh, happy weekend to all of you. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. John, anything you want to say uh, before we sign off? I just want to thank everyone. Hey, this was Friday. They made the time and I just hope it was, it was worth it for them. I love everyone. And I know this is a challenging time for a lot of people, but if we stay positive, we stay strong together, we'll have the grit to keep moving forward. Grit is the number one predictor and factor of success. It's not talent. Mm. It's not title. It's not wealth. It's not good looks. It's grit. And what drives grit most of all? Love. If you love it, you won't quit. If you love others, you won't quit on them. So let love drive you and your grit. You love it, keep working at it, and you'll be a craftsman or a craftswoman creating amazing masterpieces each day. John, you're a leader. And when the leader gets better, everybody gets better. Thanks for helping leaders get better. God bless you. Have an amazing weekend. Thanks to everyone. God be bless well. Everyone. God bless. Thanks. It's been another episode of the Montgomery Companies Podcast. Thank you for listening. And thank you for joining us for our conversation with John Gordon that we put together through the Montgomery Company's Leadership Series. I wanna say thank you to John for your friendship. Thanks for your time. Thanks for donating your words of wisdom to the Montgomery Company's community. I also wanna say thank you to John Choate and James Roth of Storyline Multimedia who put together all of our shows and work so hard behind the scenes to make these shows go. If you found value in today's conversation, I would love it if you would like, subscribe, or share this podcast with others in an effort that we might move our mission of impact forward. Until next time, be great, be well. Have an amazing day.